It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Who they think they're going to beat them Bengals? It is the Locked On Bengals podcast with your hosts, Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. Today, we're going to talk about some of the free agency reporting and rumors going around out there, including a report that the Bengals are looking to trade a player that we hadn't heard was on the trading block necessarily, but we knew wouldn't be part of the Bengals in the 2020 season. So we'll get into that news at the start of the show. Some reported franchise tags around the league for guys that you might have been thinking, oh, these guys could be unrestricted free agents well a bunch of guys were reported today that they will be franchised and then we'll get into some of the brian callahan quotes around the combine and some additional evidence that backs up matt miller's reporting earlier last week that the bengals are interested in wide receiver in this draft and we'll wrap up the show with a list of players we know the bengals talked to in indianapolis but let's get into the news first We'll start with the most directly related to the Bengals news that we've heard today as Jenna Lane from ESPN reported on Twitter a laundry list of potential franchise tags, but also that Cordy Glenn is expected to be shopped. And that was in the same tweet that she mentioned that Trey Turner is expected to be shopped. And this is according to her sources in Indianapolis. Of course, as we all know, if there's no trade partner found for Cordy Glenn, the Bengals will release him. And Paul Danner Jr. responded to this report essentially by saying nobody's interested in Cordy Glenn. He's quit on two teams. Everyone knows the book on Cordy Glenn. He's had injury issues. There are commitment issues. It would be very surprising if the Bengals can get anything back. But still, it is encouraging to me that they're at least trying to see if there's any value there because they know they're getting rid of him either way. Yeah, that's the right process, right? We're we're always concerned that the Bengals aren't doing the right thing in some of these obvious situations here. At least we're getting the report that they are looking to trade Cordy Glenn instead of just outright outright releasing him. Now, I think everyone expects him to be released. This may be also a case of the national media being slightly behind where we were a few months ago in realizing that Cordy Glenn will ultimately be released. And if a team is interested at that point, they'll get him for a much cheaper deal and without giving up a draft pick. I think that's where we're at here. Sure, if they can get something, I'll take a sixth, seventh round pick at this point. I'll take anything. But I think that's because we've already resigned to the idea that ultimately Glenn will not be on this team in some way. And it's just a shame, really, because the Bengals traded for him in a very similar situation. He had quit on Buffalo, or so the narrative goes. Whether or not that's entirely true, that was the perception. Buffalo was eager to unload him. They gave up what, what we figure out is worth about a third-round pick, 
And instead of getting a guy in the top 12 that year, they end up missing on Frank Ragnall, drafting Billy Price. Billy Price has injury issues, has issues that showed up on college tape, showing up at the pro level, and so far hasn't even been the average starter that we hoped or expected he might be able to be as an interior offensive lineman. So they end up extending Trey Hopkins instead, an undrafted free agent who essentially won the job. They draft Michael Jordan the next year because they still need interior offensive line help along with signing John Miller. And because Cordy Glenn didn't work out, well, now we've gone out and drafted a tackle. So uh, another in the series of cascading dominoes from not bringing back Andrew Whitworth several years ago of missing on the draft pick, Cedric Obwehi and Jake Fisher. But if they can't get anything back, like Joe said, at least it's the right process. And in addition to that, Trey Turner in the same tweet from Jenna Lane, is an intriguing trade target, has been to many Pro Bowls, and it will be very interesting to see how the league values him because compared to free agents that guard Graham Glasgow, Joe Tooney, or Brandon Scherf, who's been franchise tagged or is likely to be franchise tagged, according to Jenna Lane, none of those guys are going to have as cheap of a deal. For the team that acquires Trey Turner, they're going to be on the hook for $20.5 million over two years. Very little guaranteed money left. So if you need to cut him after a year, if it doesn't work out, you get out of that deal the second year of it scot-free. So low money value, how much is that worth in draft picks compared to just going out and signing a Graham Glasgow? I think this is a very similar situation to the Cordy Glenn trade. Most of the guaranteed money was gone at that point. It was making about $9.5 to $10 million a year against the cap for the Bills, which ultimately what the Bengals absorbed. So a similar type of deal. Yes, it's a little bit more to pay for a guard, but I think guaranteed money is where we need to look at always with the Bengals. If they don't have to shell out a whole bunch of money to trade for this guy, it would make them a, a target for his services now compensation i think a third round pick would be fair ultimately that's what the Bengals gave up for glenn and there's some parallels there but i I think a third round and being at the top of the third round could definitely entice the panthers to move off of trey turner someone that the Bengals should have drafted instead of will clark back in 2016 so i'm still stuck on that so i'd love to go get trey turner at this point and this is where the andy dalton trade comes into effect and has a double effect right because if you can trade him for a third round pick and you somehow swap that or flip that for Trey Turner, a starting guard, well, you've done a lot to protect Joe Burrow without actually giving something up. That's the big key, is making sure that they don't end up net negative one draft pick. And if they do, I would honestly think that a fourth-round pick could get it done, maybe even later if the Panthers are eager to move on, because you generally see NFL veterans are traded for a lower draft compensation return than you might expect would be fair. And while Trey Turner was a pro bowler, he did take a bit of a step back in 2019. The Bengals have made draft pick trades to solidify their roster in the offseason before, and we'll see if they do it again in 2020. So along with this generally baseless trade speculation about Trey Turner... There is some other news that Jenna Lane put out today. Yannick Ngakwe is going to be franchised in Jacksonville. Brandon Scherf, we mentioned, likely to be franchised in Washington. Pittsburgh are going to franchise Bud Dupree and put themselves squarely into cap hell and have to deal with the fallout there. And, I mean, Bud Dupree had a better year than I ever thought he would in the NFL, but that is a lot of money to spend on a guy who, um, he's only done it once. Yep. So, and. I think Hargrave is such a much better player yeah. than than Dupree. So, I, I mean, they're making their choice here, and they've kind of pinned themselves into the situation by 
um, signing to it and Hayward to contracts they can't get out of. So um, that's why I would also another reason why I would target Hayward just to that's a guy that shouldn't hit free agency that will. And a lot of use of the franchise tag this year, maybe because, well, I don't know why. I feel like this is the heaviest use of the franchise tag I've seen in quite a while. But going on down the list, Ravens, another AFC North team, planning to use it on Matthew Judon. Of course, the Bengals, the third AFC North team on this list, going to use it on A.J. Green. Hunter Henry, going to be tagged by the by the Chargers. Dak Prescott, Chris Jones, Justin Simmons, Shaq Barrett, all going to be franchise tagged. That is a lot of guys, I feel like, in a regular year. Outside of the franchise tag, the Bengals have been linked to Derek Wolf as an upcoming unrestricted free agent target with a visit potentially already lined up. Yeah, that would be interesting. Derek Wolf from Cincinnati. Uh, he's on the downside of his career, obviously. He's currently 30 years old. Birthday was the 24th of February, so he just turned 30. So he's right at the cusp of where the Bengals typically go. 29 is where I like to put the cutoff, but... They've dipped into 30-year-olds before, guys like Brandon LaFell and B.W. Webb, when uh, those guys are, you know, obviously not the premier players they once were. I think this is true for Derek Wolf. His best year was in 2015, and then he had an okay year in 2018, but largely has been pretty much average. And what is he? What does he do? He's a five-tech defensive end in a 3-4 defense that'll kick inside and play next to Geno Atkins to rush the passer in your nickel package. And I think that is something that the Bengals want to do or want to address. We talked about this when we talked talk some draft prospects. Yesterday was A.J. Epinesa um, maybe letting Andrew Billings go because he doesn't have the length and the size. You're not going to let Atkins go, obviously. But if you want to play more 3-4 stuff, those ends, and I'm talking about Atkins as an end in the 3-4, those five techs have to have the length and the size to be able to hold up in two-gap. And that's where Derek Wolf comes in, and that's where that need could potentially come in. And I've been harping on it for a long time. A guy that can kick inside and rush the passer next to Geno Atkins will go a long way to keeping this defensive line fresh and being able to pin their ears back and, and rush the passer. So that's where Wolf would come in. I'm just not sure he's still good anymore. He's just okay. And if they're going to pay him six, seven, eight million dollars, I'm going to be disappointed. His previous average per year was just over $9 million. So I think he should be down in the $5 million range, which I'd be comfortable with for a veteran that can give you some versatility and give him a position at five tech that they really don't have on the roster right now. And I agree with all that. The only caveat I'm going to throw out there is they could pay comparable money for a younger, maybe less proven guy, maybe a little bit more money for a more promising player like Quentin Jefferson, who had a breakout year for Seattle and a lot of that breakout against the Bengals in week one, you probably remember. So there are guys like that. And there's a list of guys I talked about on Twitter when I talked about Derek Wolf being reported to the Bengals that I think would be comparable signings that might be cheaper or I just don't overpay because the guy has a name that's recognizable and he used to be good, right? We don't want to make that mistake right. again. Yeah, that's not the type of free agent. I think it would get a lot of people excited. And I'm just cautioning those people that, it's not Derek Wolf from 2015. This is, you know, later career. He's probably got a couple years left in him of um, starting play or even maybe even role player play at this point. He's playing about 500, 600 snaps, which puts him, you know, just on the fringe at this point. I think that's what he is. And a complimentary piece, not somebody that's going to overhaul your defense in any way. It's, it's quite interesting because the Broncos have three interior defensive linemen that are free agents and all of them I think are fine targets depending on what they're going to be played 
paid, sorry. And one of those is Shelby Harris, who over the cap is projecting to get just five and a half million dollars a year. He's 28 and a half years old. Objectively, I think a better player than Derek Wolf, but neither here nor there. The Bengals haven't been linked with him. They have been linked with Derek Wolf, so that is something we'll continue to monitor. But we promised that we'd talk about some wide receiver quotes from Brian Callahan. We'll get into all those here in just a minute. Want to go see your Cincinnati Reds this spring during spring training? Well, Arizona is a great place to go, not only see baseball, but to see everything else. And if you go down there and go down for the Cactus League, they've got 10 stadiums, 15 MLB teams, 75-degree temperatures. All 10 stadiums are in the greater Phoenix area within 50 miles. Yeah, you can go down and see your Reds in Goodyear Park down there. Or maybe, we've talked about it before, you're into the craft beer. They've got Four Peaks, Angel's Trumpet Ale House, Goldwater Brewing Company, all known for great beer. Or maybe you're into hiking. Maybe you want to get out in the desert for the numerous national parks down there. Go up to the Grand Canyon. And if you do the canyon, make sure you bring enough water because it's the way back. Unlike most hikes, that's challenging. It's easy going down, hard coming up. Kind of the opposite of the Bengals. We had a hard time with this bad year, and we're going to come up next year. So go on down to Arizona, take yourself a little spring break, plan your getaway at visitarizona.com slash springtraining. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. So we had a fun game on Twitter today that a lot of people partake, partook in. I don't know what the word is. Anyways, Jeff Hobson of Bengals.com caught up with Bengals offense coordinator Brian Callahan after the combine. Did a little bit of a background piece on him, got to know him a little bit, but also asked a little bit of combine questions. And there was a interesting exchange or at least admission by Callahan. I thought he made this a little easy or at least made it easy for us to narrow it down to a few receivers and we're going to go and take our best guesses at who it is but when they they talked about um, a big receiver that ran a lot faster than the Bengals thought he would and that Callahan was smitten and the quote goes on to say he has to go back to look at that guy again it didn't look like he played fast but now I can go back and see if we missed something maybe he runs great and you weren't anticipating it or maybe his vertical jump was so explosive you try to find elite traits somewhere there's no question the 40 means something here, especially for a receiver. Overall, any position, you can hurt or help yourself at the combine. So he's, he's talking about going back to the tape, watching these guys after they perform a little bit better. But I think talking about the vertical there, talking about the, um, the, the 40 time running much better than expected for a big receiver, I think we can narrow this down to a couple guys. I think it's for sure Chase Claypool. And it might not be, but I think that it is because Chase Claypool, 6'4", is tied for the third tallest receiver at the Combine. And if you get down into the eighths of an inch, I'm sure that it would separate itself. But 238 is far and beyond the heaviest 
wide receiver at the combine. The closest is six foot two twenty eight Antonio Gibson from Memphis, who ran a four three nine. But if mm-hmm. you talk about the vertical as well, if Brian Callahan was attributing that vertical to the same guy that ran faster than he expected. Chase Claypool also jumped 40 and a half inches, whereas Antonio Gibson only 35 inches. And when you're 6'4", 238, and you jump 40 inches in the air, you run a 4'4", he also had a crazy broad jump. I mean, all of that. Well, I guess it wasn't crazy. It was good. Yeah, it was good. And Claypool is a bit of a, a freak. Um, I wonder if, you know, it, the way he makes it sound as if this is a guy that they didn't because when I read the second receiver to you, this is a guy that they liked but didn't love, and now they got to go back and see because like this guy tested through the roof, and that's why I think that's Claypool because that sounds like him to me. When I watch him, mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay, I see he's big and fast, but kind of like Miles Boykin last year of Notre Dame, who went in the third or fourth. Uh, but you know, I think Claypool's still in that range where you're going to go. Yeah, he's got these pieces, but, you know, there's so many times on tape where I just don't feel as good uh, about him. And that kind of – I'm going to go with you. I think that's Claypool, but I think Gibson is one to at least keep an eye on because 228 running a 4.39 is pretty crazy. That density at six foot – I mean, you're you're a big running back. Imagine if Joe Mixon's running a 4.39. That's fast. So uh, moving on to the next receiver, and this one I think is – maybe more up for debate, or at least more guys can fit into this. It says Callahan is slowly having his heart broken. There's this other receiver who is running so well and catching so smoothly, having such a good night that it feels almost as if he's saying goodbye to a friend. He's enjoyed getting to know if this guy's available in it with the 33rd pick at the top of round two, so they can simply debate him. It's going to be a miracle. So, for me, someone he's gotten to know, I think, is either uh, from the Senior Bowl because they spent a lot of time with those guys, or potentially because of watching so much of Joe Burrow. Maybe this is Justin Jefferson uh, because he's probably gotten to know him too through either meeting with Jefferson or just watching so much of that tape. I agree. I think that those are the two most likely candidates. The only reason that I actually have some pause on Mims is that. Nobody has him based strictly off of tape. I shouldn't say nobody. Very few people strictly off of tape before the Senior Bowl had Denzel Mims as a first-round draft pick. Even after the Senior Bowl, people were saying he's probably a day-two guy. Well, I don't think he's saying that, though. He's saying it would be a miracle if he's there at 33 now to even discuss. I know. I know. But but when you're saying it's – I think that there's – I think that probably around the NFL, because of production and because of pedigree, yeah. Justin Jefferson is probably ahead on many boards compared to Denzel Mims. I agree. Because he started higher, and then he had a good combine. Denzel yeah. Mims started lower, had a great senior bowl where he answered severe questions about his route running, and people that know wide receivers really well say he ran routes at a much more advanced level than we saw him do in college. Because, Joe, you posted a thread today. And somebody mm-hmm. made a good point about it. There are a bunch of crazy good catches for him that show off body control and ability to win contested catches, but there's a lot of catches where there's not good separation. And yeah. so something must have changed, right? Because we heard that he was running great routes at the Senior Bowl. And in Senior Bowl practices, you, you saw some of that separation. You saw the arm bar against Troy Pride, that that yeah. highlight film from, from practice. But 
is it going to be a miracle if he's hurt 33? I think that that would be a stretch. I Right. I think this applies to both players. Um, and well, with Jefferson, the thing is he was a slack guy, right, at LSU. Yeah. So we said the same thing. If we're even going to consider him for the Bengals, he needs to run fast and test well, right? Remember saying that to each other? And he did. So I think that's where he, it becomes of, oh, he could have been there at 33, and now it's like, eh. And I think the Bengals could be interested in multiple slot guys if they're running the Rams' offense uh, because that's how the condensed formations, that's how they kind of run it. Everyone's a slot guy, even for the Rams. All three of their guys are. Uh, and the Bengals could could emulate that. So with Jefferson running as well as he did, he's now going to be open to every, every team, right? Some teams are going to see him as a number two guy that, yeah, he's going to be in the slot for us, but we can also put him out wide. And maybe he's the Z, you know, and they can do things with him there. Because when you test that fast, teams will be more open to it. Even if his most, I think all of his production was from the slot at LSU. This year, all of it was from the slot. And he took a giant leap forward in productivity when he moved to be essentially 100% slot receiver. Essentially. Who, Who are the dark horses for this? Who are the guys that aren't Jefferson or Mims that maybe the NFL is way higher on than everyone else who had a great combine. Cause like I'm looking at Donovan Peoples Jones. He, yeah, uh, he had a great combine, but he didn't do any of the agility testing and he wasn't that productive. That would be a hard sell. I think Michael Pittman, even though four or five, two is probably what everyone expected. He, he didn't fail any of these tests, right? He came in and basically said, yes, this is who I am. Put a stamp on it. I'm good enough to play. Um, and I think that's what he had to answer. And he was probably a third-round guy. He probably stays in the third round. Mm-hmm. But for some of these guys, they lost 20 spots or gained 20 spots. I think Pittman stamped it and said, I'm the guy. But he's definitely not one of the ones that is a miracle to be there at 33. I think it's definitely Jefferson or Denzel Mims from Baylor. And um, Denzel Mims is a guy we've talked about more than enough. But he's a guy that everyone liked on tape. Highlight reels insane. Senior Bowl, great. And then just blew it out of the park at the combine. And I think everyone was probably talking about him. So when he talk, when he says the guy's catching everything and the mm-hmm. buzz is all on him, you know, I think that's where teams are probably like, and we need to go watch this guy again, or we need to go make sure we know what we're, what we see on this guy. Denzel Mims may also qualify as the first guy, right? The, the guy that it, was he this fast? Was he this agile? Was he this mm-hmm. quick? His three cone was nuts. Um, and I think Mims could apply as either one of these. All it could be this. just Mims and Jefferson. Yeah, it could be both of them. I think it's Claypool, and I think that it's probably Mims. I just, I think calling Mims a miracle to get to 33, is that really where we are at this point? I think that it's unlikely, but I don't know if it's a miracle. And I think something that we should do, Joe, is we should put together a list of, these are things that are for sure happening in the first round, barring catastrophe. And these are Mm -hmm. the things that are likely to happen in the first round. I went through this exercise a little bit today on Twitter, and I think I came up with 20 guys that I feel very confident will be gone in the first round. And then beyond that, the last 12 are question marks to some degree. I got a little bit of a side discussion that could be a segment also. Maybe it'll involve this part, and I'll touch on it now. But uh, John Schneider, the GM of the Seattle Seahawks, said they expect to have 120 guys on their board. And if you've known from past years, even the Patriots have had like 80 yeah. guys on their board. Yeah. And that was, that was that confused a lot of people because they didn't understand, well, won't you run out of players after three, four rounds? Um, and my point is you only put the players you're interested in. You're not interested in every guy. In a lot of years, you get 20 first-round guys. After that, you don't have a first-round grade, even though 30, you know 32 will be selected. Um, and it works that way because 
it keeps your board almost strong uh, throughout the draft. And I've done it doing up a mock, you know, uh, big board and, and so on. And I think when we do this project, we can say, these are the guys we have first-round picks on. Concrete, I will take them number one no matter what. A lot of the guys we discuss are fringe guys. The guys from 22 to 40 could fall in a yeah. lot of different ways. They could go up to 15. Someone could take them too high. Or they could still be sitting there at 50. And this happens every single year. So any any twi- anywhere between that range, they it is very um, fluid. And it, it could go a lot of different directions. And that's why it's hard to pin down 33, but also why we're excited because we expect, you know, those teams to make some so- choices that we wouldn't draft guys that we don't have first grades on and leaving someone for the Bengals at 33. I think that's Thursday's show. Today we're going to wrap up with recapping the players the Bengals met with in Indianapolis. And we'll get into that in just a minute. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. While the Bengals have 45 visits this year instead of 60 at the Combine, we'll never get a list of all of them. But around the internet, you'll find a good chunk of them. And in the past, they've been pretty indicative of who the Bengals will ultimately draft, as I said in the last segment, how teams won't have all 300 and some odd players on their board. They'll whittle it down at least in the half and, and target those guys. You can take these 45 combine visits and meetings as a good sign of who they're interested in. So we've got the list here to go over um, what was reported. Now we're not, obviously we don't have 45. We've got about 10 here, but it gives you an idea of where they're at for pick number one and 33, I think, Jake, and maybe some guys that would be third, fourth, fifth rounders, just just a handful. But um, obviously at the top, Joe Burrow and Tua Tungvaloa both met with the Bengals. Uh, so obviously Joe Burrow. But I think just hedging their bets there and making sure they cover all their corners and all their bases with Tua and Chase Young, who else they also met with, that just makes sense there at the top. And then from there, they met with linebackers Troy Dye and Patrick Queen, um, Two guys that could be in discussion at 33. I prefer die in round three. Jake, I think you you feel the same way. And I don't even love him there. He's kind of, I think a lot of people are split on die. Some people really like him. I think PFF really does. Has him as their number two linebacker. I don't feel the same way. Maybe I'll go back and watch and see what I've missed on that one. But Patrick Queen makes a lot of sense. I just think we could move him up at least five spots after his combine and really separating themselves um, from the other linebackers that didn't really test too well. So he and Kenneth Murray, not that they met Kenneth Murray. Terrell Lewis, though, is the interesting one. Uh, Terrell Lewis, uh, Alabama, is a 3-4 outside linebacker. I think he would be the same for the Bengals. I think Lewis, he's had some injuries. He's a big guy, athletic guy, good pass rusher, strong against the run. He really, uh, his tape is pretty good when he plays. I just think it may signal... More of the 3-4 move, which makes sense. They, they're going to go out and sign Derek Wolf and then and then draft Terrell Lewis at 33. And we're going to be like, all right, we know exactly what they're doing with their defense. They're, someone's hitting the bench, whether that's 
um, Dunlap, Lewis, or I'm sorry, Dunlap, Lawson, or Hubbard when they go into pass rush situations or whatever the case may be. So I, I think that's interesting uh, to bring him in and, and spend a visit with him. The other guys on the list are Natani Moody, the guard from Fresno. We've talked about him a few times. I think he's going to be a target of a lot of teams. I think there was a report he met with 27 teams. Did you see that, Jake? And that means, what, going to go a round higher than expected if that many teams are interested? And I was thinking third, fourth round, maybe this pushes him late second in that range. Maybe the Bengals will never get a chance for him. The other guys, real quick, are Troy Pride Jr. in Notre Dame. We've drafted him a few times, probably a third-round guy. Tested out very similarly to Darquez Denard, which I think is very interesting. Uh, Amik Robertson, cornerback from Louisiana Tech. And then we've got Benito Jones and Rashard Lawrence, both defensive tackles that I think we're looking in fourth, fifth round. Maybe that's a depth uh, guy on, on day three. And they certainly met with more guys than that. But let's just go back to Natani Muti for a second. He did meet with 27 teams. That tweet also said, that's from Thor Nystrom, also said that the Bengals were one of the three most interested teams from what Thor was hearing in Indianapolis. And Natani Muti is a really interesting and risky prospect. He dealt with major injuries for two, two out of his three years at Fresno State. But man, you go watch his highlights and it's hard not to feel something absolute road grader mountain of a man what do you throw up over 40 bench press reps oh yeah i he, think you know he reminds me of we talked about last year hajalte froholt remember uh-huh. him and now he's going to be the guy possibly replacing joe tooney at left guard for the patriots just one year later and i think that's the type of pick moody is is where you take him maybe it's third round maybe it's fourth if he's still there and you say okay you're going to compete but you're going to de- develop for a year and then be a road grader for us that's just fialte because uh, anyway, uh, Whatever. I, I thought you were going to say Bobby Williams. Oh, interesting. Yeah, Bobby was right. He was that big mauling right guard. Bobby Williams, man. Talk about an underappreciated Bengal. I don't know. Maybe he's appreciated well enough. I mean, just when we go back and talk about guys, you talk about Willie Anderson, you talk about Whitworth, you talk about Steinbach, you talk about Levi Jones, you talk about Rich Bram. And he's better than those last three guys. He's better than Bram. Bobby Williams is better than Levi Jones and Eric Steinbach. I mean, the combo with them two, meaning Willie Anderson and Bobby Williams, lights out. That's who they ran behind. Yeah, you, you couldn't really do much. I mean, those two guys are so big and so oh, yeah. strong. They, they have to miss. You have to beat them with speed. And, and they're both dancing bears. They're nimble guys. Remember Pat Sims? I don't know how he earned the nickname Dancing Bear when so many big guys are called Dancing Bear. But yeah. Good for you, Pat Sims. You have earned the moniker. So of these guys, we obviously know that Joe Burrow, Chase Young, Tua Tagovailoa in consideration for the first overall pick. They met with Justin Herbert plenty at the Senior Bowl. They talked to Jordan Love there too. Not that I think Jordan Love is in consideration with these other guys, but they've met with all four of the guys that they might consider for that number one overall pick, and they're going to draft Joe Burrow, and there's no real questions about that. Worth noting that they were able to save some visits with many senior bowl participants. I think the only one on this list that was at the senior bowl is Troy pride. Is that, is that right? Yeah. That, no, Terrell Lewis was there. Also, Terrell Lewis was there also. Yeah. So they met with two guys that were at the senior bowl, which means we really need to watch their interest in Troy pride. He's going to likely be a target of theirs at some point if he's available when they want him. And Terrell Lewis is actually a guy that scares me. That is a draft mm-hmm. pick that would not excite me. I just don't think that they have the luxury of drafting an edge player unless it's like 
a guy they really love this falling. The edge class just isn't that good this year. It's not. And when you're picking, I mean, you have to get a, an edge player with a premium pick or else don't even take them at, at a lot of times because they're. It, it's so hard to find those guys after the top 20. And I think to get them at 33 when there's going to be other guys probably falling in a strong receiver and corner class, uh, man, I think that'd be a waste. I, like, I'd much rather go like Josh Jones or Austin Jackson at tackle yeah. than to take a developmental edge guy, you know, just because I think to, I'd much rather have that developmental offensive lineman. Yeah. I just, the, if it's an edge player, uh, it's going to be a hard sell for me. Out of all the positions on the Bengals in the second round, edge is going to be a hard sell. So that Terrell Lewis interest that Jeff Hobson's been talking about for over a month now, I just keep coming back to the fact that the corner class, the wide receiver class, both so strong, and it looks like they want to learn from their mistakes, right? They're they're targeting wide receiver, reportedly. There's this whole piece on Bengals.com about it. They're talking to Troy Dye, talking to Amick Robert, Robertson. I hope they get Troy Pride. No receivers amongst this list, though, that we have. Yeah, I'm sure they met with receivers. Oh, I'm sure they did, too. It's just that none of them, you know, came out. Yeah. Uh, these are all guys that, so the way you, that you find out about these for the most part, if somebody asks, mm-hmm. you, you sit in these combine interviews with these players and 32 different people ask, did you meet with the Bengals? Did you meet with the Steelers? Did you meet with the Ravens? Did you meet with the Browns? And and whichever teams you say yes to, you make a note of it, you check it off, right? But nobody really asks about the Bengals, which is why we never really find out too many of those. Look at these other teams, though. We're on... Yeah. You know, a site that's got all of the the teams and all these listed, and the Bengals are one of the shortest, so it doesn't get out there as much for Cincinnati. I noticed this last year; I felt like there was less information than normal, so they've been a little bit more tight lipped. Maybe it's new staff and all that, because uh, like, look at the Falcons. God, it looks like we've got a it's list a whole of page one hundred uh, one hundred players they met with so far this yeah. between the East West Shrine Game Senior Bowl, which you could just list the entire South roster, I guess, for the Bengals Both meeting rosters. with them. Yeah, because they do. They do trade for one day, but I guess if you did that, the list would be much longer. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is it's a huge advantage, and all the Bengals coaches have talked about it. They all sound really confident going into this year, so we'll see how the draft goes. We'll see if they get back to being on the same page as Joe and the rest of us in the Bengals corner of draft Twitter. Tomorrow we revive a series that has gone by the wayside as more pressing, interesting things have been happening at the Combine. We get back into our positional reviews where we still just have a couple of position groups left. I believe only linebacker and defensive backs. And we'll finish our free agency preview for the remaining teams. And those are teams from the Western divisions of the NFL. We'll get into all that tomorrow. Until then, Bengals fans, have a good one. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.
Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.